What's going on? This is Dexter Thomas, and let's just come right out and say it. Journalism sucks right now. So you might be asking, okay, why and what do we do? Well, just a spoiler alert, uh, we don't come to a full conclusion in this episode, but I do want to set the table for this episode with an observation, which is that we've had this weird separation in journalism between church and state where journalists and reporters had this noble craft and there were salespeople down at the bottom who sold the ads that allowed these elite reporters to keep getting paid. You know, think of how much the industry tends to disrespect social media editors and honestly, even people online tend to. But now we're starting to see a lot of reporters losing their jobs, which, hi, but also publicly lean into becoming their own self-promoting mini advertising departments in addition to their work, which again, hi. And the result is that the walls between advertising and reporting are coming down. So I'd argue that this was always fake, that advertisement has always been way more tied in with the information we got than we were comfortable admitting. But now social media is not only making that harder to hide, but it's accelerating the negative effects. So there's this article that came out on 404 Media that has a headline, Advertisers Don't Want Sites Like Jezebel to Exist. And it basically explains how there's an entire industry based on scaring brands and companies into thinking that if their ad appears next to an article that talks about war or racism or sexism or trans people or even has the word gay in it, then that's a risk for them, which leads to articles about these things disappearing. So let's get rid of ads, right? Just get rid of all of them. Well, maybe not. Maybe ads aren't all bad. So this time I have former editor-in-chief of Vice News, Michael Learmuth, to talk about how we got here, what we can and maybe can't do about it, and what's behind all of this. And the key word is brand safe. And that'll make sense in a little bit. Let's get into it. My man. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I think... There are very few people uh, who are watching this who are unfamiliar with you, but just for those few stray people who maybe not don't know who you are, uh, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, Mike Learmonth. Um, I was, uh, until May, I was editor-in-chief of Vice News. Um, I worked for seven years at Vice News, so through uh, kind of three separate eras that, um, almost as long as you, Dexter, I think, pretty close. We had the same kind of run yeah. lengthwise, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had, yeah. So, um, so I, I worked the last seven years. I worked at Vice, Vice News, but prior to that, I had another life where, where I was a business reporter. And one of the things I covered as a business reporter was the business of media. And pretty soon after I started doing that, it very much became the business of digital media. So, um, so that's kind of my background. And um, so, you know, being an editor, making digital journalism um i also had a background in um in understanding kind of how the sausage gets made and how advertising sort of works on the web yeah which is uh going to be very relevant for our conversation today um yeah you know i think i didn't realize you'd done business reporting until i think you maybe mentioned it on one of our on one of the streams that we did back at vice at some point i i, I try to keep it a secret I don't advertise it. Really? Really? Why? Why? <laughs> no, no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Cause it was so, it was so different than what I was doing at Vice. But, you know, like I, the big thing about Vice for me was it was just amazing to have a chance to do something different in my career. 
right? So mm. like just do, do something entirely different, which was really, really gratifying and amazing. Um, but yeah, so I started out, um, my first national reporting job was at a magazine called the industry standard. And, um, when I landed there, they said, okay, um, you're going to cover music and you're going to cover travel. And I thought, oh, okay. Cause I'd come out of the alternative press. I'm like, okay, that this, the, 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 I'm the alt weekly guy. So they're going to make me cover the soft stuff. Uh, yeah. But what I quickly learned was like, that was not the soft stuff. Like Napster was like landing like a bomb, yeah. uh, you know, into the world and, uh, digital media was, um, about to go through some pretty incredible changes. So, um, yeah, I quickly learned that was actually a great assignment. And, um, that was sort of my introduction to a lot of these issues. And then I covered media at, uh, Reuters at, uh, Variety and, um, Business Insider and Advertising Age. So, um, I kind of saw all of it kind of begin in the early 2000s and then sort of a lot of the shit hitting the fan in the tens and then leading up to where we are now, which I think is sort of an interesting and also a weird place. A lot of times, you know, the, the quote unquote entertainment stuff seems like it's going to be the soft stuff and this is why i never like using the phrase entertainment when somebody asks me what i do you know i say i do culture um but yeah it seems like oh yeah all you do is so you you know interview a celebrity and then you ask them how their day went and what their favorite food is and you know their favorite color and then everybody goes home and you write this nice puff piece and everybody's happy no if you take it at all seriously uh this is where a lot of the wild stuff is really happening and what people can you know consider just entertainment you know music all these other things there's so much moving around behind the scenes and and it ends up truly truly affecting uh just how we live our lives in general the kind of information we get and you get a kind of a preview of that i mean if you're paying attention to napster when napster was going wild i think that's a preview for a lot of stuff a lot of stuff a lot of money moving around. I totally agree with you. And I actually think the definition of news needs to be broader, right? You think of news as, um, you know, narrowly, and that's like really doing a disservice to news because, you know, you, you, know, you can cover entertainment from the, um, you know, red carpet of the Gold Globes. You can also write stories that tell us, you know, um, that explain the world uh, through culture and the transmission of of um, stories and information and an art. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you, you know, it's a very, I think that's a actually kind of a problem with internet and news today is, is it, there's been sort of a narrowing of what people consider quote unquote news. Yeah. Um, when it, it should be extremely broad. And I think actually that was one thing that vice was pretty good at was, um, embracing, um, tons of different topics and formats and ways of kind of relating the news that was uh in a, that, that were innovative yeah yeah man um so let's start with the background so we're here to talk about something that seems really nebulous i feel like but it's i think there is a perception that the news is somehow getting worse and i think a lot of people have maybe that feeling for different reasons but what I don't think people would necessarily expect would be that journalists would also feel that way. 
that the news is getting worse. Right. Yeah. So um, I definitely feel that way. I think a lot of journalists feel that way, but it's actually really interesting to hear what non-journalists think about it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that there's a couple things that have happened. I mean, obviously, journalism employment has plummeted. Um, I think um, a third of all journalists at quote unquote newspapers. Right. So that's a proxy for the whole media landscape um, have been eliminated since 2008, something like 70% of ad revenue has gone away since then. Um, I think that a lot of publications that used to be extremely broad and do a wide diversity of stuff have really narrowed. I mean, I think the LA Times is actually a pretty good example of that. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not a person who says, oh, it was always better before, or it was always great right. in the past, because no, it wasn't always great. But I think it's it's a it's a it's a fact that a lot of the great metro newspapers are di very diminished from what they were, and you know a lot of the great uh, you know all weeklies are are go mostly gone, right? Oh yeah, or, or they're <laughs> right. So yeah, so I mean I think like you know my hometown paper, the, the New York Times, right? Okay. So they don't actually cover New York really, like. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't learn, say, what's happening in my Lower East Side zip code, you know, from from the New York Times. Right. So that that's where I think even even if you live in a highly served media dense area, you might still also actually be living in a news desert because you you know, there's no like economic model for a Lower East Side paper. Right. Um, there are a few blogs that are great. Yeah. But um, there, there are very few professional journalists like going to meetings and doing the kind of reporting that used to happen. Yeah, it's I mean, and I, I just want to re-underline this, right, is that I think I think that there are various reasons why somebody might say the word the, the news sucks. So the, the news is worse than it used to be or, you know, back in the day, it used to be better. And a lot of these things I would disagree with. Right. Oh, news back in the day, it used to be unbiased. I don't know about that, buddy. Yeah, yeah. You it was very high. Yeah, no, it was, it was terrible. It was there were there were things that were genuinely terrible about right. the news, and and I think you know, and I you you've been in the game a little bit longer than I have, but I would even say there were things that I'm glad I didn't have to deal with when I first got in, and that like I'm glad those things were were gone before I ever stepped in, and there are also things that have changed since I started that I'm glad that the next person doesn't have to deal with. Like, I'm glad about that. You know, I'll, I've said this before at, when I was at the LA times, I had an editor who would not let me use the word racist in an article. Wasn't allowed to oh, use wow. the word. Yeah. That was a wall that really got broken down. Right. Like, yeah, you could, you could start saying people lied. Right. That was yes. the Trump. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and it's like, yo, sometimes people lie. Sometimes people are racist. Yeah. And they didn't just start being racist and liars in 2020. They were racist and liars in 2019 and 2017 and 2016. Like, you know what I mean? And so yeah. like, I'm glad that so there are things that are I think we can certainly differ with some people. Right. On, hey, the news is bad because of this. No, 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 no. Actually. I think you're you're looking at it in a different way here. I think there's another way to look at this, and actually, some things have improved. But it is interesting to see that there is, there are places where also journalists would say, "Nah, man, the word the news is getting worse. The stuff we're giving you, that we're spending our time out here, has gotten worse." 
fundamentally worse, which is if everybody agrees with this, where where the heck are we? Um, I, I actually am encouraged when people care enough to say that the news is bad or care enough to criticize it. I love, you know, that's like, yeah, that that's to me, I mean, you know, let's, let's take it really far back, right. Before the era of big journalism, right. Which really is only about 50 years old, say, yeah. But you know, the, the, the world, the, um, the American landscape was full of tiny little papers with agendas owned by people who were using them to settle scores and do stuff. And, you know, it was this idea of the, the marketplace of ideas where somewhere in the wash, right, would be like the truth, right? Yes. Or, um, but you would have to be a very discerning consumer. You know, you might be um, subscribing to things that um, confirm your worldview or serve you in some way. But, um, but the world of journalism and information was, was quite big and broad and diverse and um, not always very professional, right? So I think in some ways we're back to that. Mm. But my concern is like, just, I, 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 I often feel like there's just not enough great content out there. And I feel like, I, I mean, I don't know if readers feel that way, but that's, that's how I feel as a consumer. Yeah. So the big thing that I wanted to talk to you about is brand safety. There's so much we can get into. Yeah. So let me just, if I could, I'll just give you a little bit of background on what this yeah. is, because I think it's confusing to a lot of people, but, but people should know about it because it's, um, it's affecting what you get to read every day. Mm -hmm. So, um, let's take it back to turn of the century, right? Like magazines, newspapers were very innovative, right? They were eagerly putting their content on the web and also putting a version of their business model on the web, right? The online ad, right? In the beginning, you know, if you were an advertiser, you were buying directly from a chain of newspapers or a local paper or a TV station or a chain of stations or a network. You were, you were buying all that, right? Through an agency. So the internet comes along and then they invent the cookie, this thing that allows you to buy audiences across the web. Hey, seems great. Very efficient. Um, I get to reach my audience wherever they are. They might be on a news site. They might be on a cooking site. They might be somewhere else. So, and, so back me up a little bit, if you could, the, the cookie yeah. thing. So I, I think I get it, but maybe we can break it down even further for everyone. So basically at, at the beginning, let's say, you know, I'm a breakfast cereal and I've decided that, look, the people who read the New York Times, I think they're a good audience for my breakfast cereal. I'm going to go to the New York Times and say, hey, listen. Every time y'all drop an article, I want to make sure my breakfast cereal is is at the top of the, of, of the site. Or or maybe I'm going to an agency who's going to say, okay, look, you got a breakfast cereal. I'm going to make sure that you're the New York Times and the Washington Post. And, you know, every other time somebody opens up an article on there, they're going to see your breakfast cereal. No problem. Cookie, how does that change that? So that's really interesting the way you put it that way, because what Cookie allows you to do is say, oh, I want to reach the New York Times audience. I can actually buy that audience when they're somewhere else, right? Like I can follow them across the web and buy that audience where they happen to be, whether mm -hmm. it's like, um, you know, people aged 18 to 34 making a certain amount of money, people who are interested in, um, I don't know, like cars or in the market for something. Um, you know, you could slice and dice the audience any way you want and buy them anywhere you want. That was the big innovation that, um, and I think at the time, the media thought, oh, this is going to be great for us because 
we're the ones with the audience. We're the ones with the brands. We're the ones who are going to get the biggest part of this pie at the end of the day, because we're supplying all the quality to, to the internet. Right. Right. Um, but it kind of didn't end out that way. So mm. I think that was the initial thing, by the way, at the same time, they're putting all their content on the web free and a decade later, they would have to sort of like say, okay, we're not going to do that. And at that point they were begging people who perhaps had never paid for content or never paid certainly for news to start to do that again which was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just talk about Napster, man. I mean, that put us, we got in a weird, look at how hard the music industry, all the things that they went through is because for a while it was easy. It was genuinely easier to bootleg music. Oh yeah. Than, than to get it normally. Like when, when I realized, look, I'm a broke teenager and there are things that my local CD shop does not have. And I can just click some buttons hell yeah, let's go. Now, yeah. then later, obviously, you know, what kind of side sidebar here, but later, obviously, you know, you get things like Spotify, which make it so that you don't have to download a virus along with the Metallica album or what have you. Yeah. It, oh, I could pay nine bucks and I can have all the music I ever want and I don't have to get a virus and I'm not crashing my mom's computer and getting in trouble. <laughs> You know what? This is an okay trade-off. Let's, you know, same thing yeah. with Netflix. Like, I can watch Breaking Bad, and I don't have to get grounded? Mm? I mean, in the okay, beginning, okay. I think it was great for consumers. Exactly. Great for, for users. Exactly. Um, no doubt about that. But I think, like, you know, Napster, I mean, look, Spotify is amazing. I mean, Spotify gets my $15, $16 a month, no matter what. Every month, you know, um, that's going to the music industry. And, um, hey, did I... Not the artists, but the music industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but just to take it back to advertising for a second, like, so so you've got this system now, and then Google started buying these companies that were middlemen to the digital ad business. Um, one of big ones called DoubleClick. And, um, you know, a, a brand would, you know, put money in and the the, the machines would decide where, where the ads get fired. And... Um, that made advertisers, I think, rightfully very nervous because they weren't super in control over where those ads landed. So the brand safety industry sort of grew up to say like, oh, if you contract with us, we'll assure, or we'll give us another, you know, a cut of what's being spent here. We'll assure that your, that your ads won't appear next to unsettling content or things that you wouldn't want to be, uh, you know, uh, associated with, right? So unfortunately, a lot of that was done for, via keyword blocking and that really hit news, right? So immediately it hit news. And um, I'm talking about something that happened more than 10 years ago. Even today, it's a real struggle to get brands to not keyword block, say Gaza, abortion, the Trump, right? The, I mean, big picture what's happening. This is my biggest concern is advertising has been part of journalism like since the very beginning, right? Since printed newsletters, you know, in, in, in early, early America, a key part of our democracy, right? A key part of transmitting information of the, the, the way the fourth estate operates. But brands have, have really abandoned the news in a really significant way. And um, I just think it's like, I think, A, there's really no reason to do that. There's no, there's no great, there's no great science that says that 
uh, uh, an ad next to unsettling content is actually have any impact on that ad at all. What happened, you know, when the, when the ad world went digital, it also went quote unquote science, right? Like, so the mad men got replaced by the math men and everything was like scientific, but that's like kind of a mirage because there's, there's really no cognitive research on the impact of an ad. Like the, the big example everyone uses, and I li- literally, I've heard this, a version of this for 20 years, and I was just on a panel and someone brought it out, yes. is imagine a Delta ad next to an ad, a story about a plane crash, or let's say um, an Alaska Airways ad next to the story about an Alaska, you know, the, 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 the Max 9 that had the door blown off or the... Mm-hmm. Uh, part of its fuselage uh, blown off, wouldn't that be terrible, right? A, that almost never happens. So you've got a whole industry built on like that worst case scenario. Right. And B, even if it did happen, is that so bad? Like you saying that readers don't understand what an ad is and don't understand like that there's no connection between those two things, you yeah. know? So I think it's like wrong on a bunch of levels. And, um, and honestly, you know, I was just on a panel with some extremely senior, um, in control of a lot of money type ad people, and they were still trotting out examples like that. And I'm like, wait, well, uh, let, let's just interrogate this for a second, because I've been hearing a version of this for, for like literally decades. Is that real? Like, is that really harmful? Mm-hmm. Is that really going to hurt? Is that worth defunding the news over that? Because you're scared of that. Right. Like, I just don't think it is. Man. Okay. First off, rewind a second. The mad men were replaced by the math men. That's that's kind of a bar, man. Didn't didn't make that up. If you go to an ad conference starting 10 so years ago, everybody was saying that. But uh, I love to take credit for it because it is good. But uh, still, yeah, I mean, you look at. So what took over in the ad world were, um, you know, people on the technical side or people on the analytics side, the creatives were sort of pushed away, right? So the creatives, it used to be in the Mad Men world, the, the, you know, Don Draper was a creative, right? Mm -hmm. He came in and he's like, carousel, right? (laughs) Like he had the idea, right? Um, but the, the, the today's ad world is about the, the dominant figures are, um, One's trying to leverage technology to make ads cheaper or more effective, right? And that's sort of like a dismal science. Um, it's not a creative science. Hey, there's some creativity in it, but it's it's not the same as storytelling, right? Storytelling advertising used to be about storytelling. Mm-hmm. This is more about efficiency. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, I feel like there there are people who have made livings on telling you that they know what's in the black box and i'm not i'm not 100 sure you know about this man uh but hey whatever um so i mean there's entire there was an entire industry about this right which is helpful in some ways and then i think in some ways as, as you're describing uh yeah it's not it's not like i don't think it's it's not what do you call it uh malicious it's not sure it does it, it means it means well right um but i think that if journalism has to die so these guys can justify their existence, the, co- the gathering of news is expensive, 
So anyone who does that has a cost behind what they're doing that's much higher than a website. One of the links I gave to you is this, the, the, the proliferation of made-for-advertising sites. These are sites that get put up, and like a lot of them are AI at this point. They get put up in a category that's very ad-friendly, like say, gadgets, tech, climate, um, celebrity coverage, you name it. Yeah. Um, and those look to, to the ad tech world, to the cookie world, those look the same as the news, right? And they're valued the same because they're buying the person, not the, not the site itself. Mm-hmm. So that's pushed the, 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 the cost of everything down for the advertiser. It's pushed revenue down. Um, I'll tell you, you know, just from vice, um, you know, our programmatic ads, the ads that are you know placed by machines on the website we're just not a big revenue driver for us and honestly um you know with keyword blocking you know vice did a lot of coverage of extremists right-wing folks trump um you know international conflicts uh trafficking drugs none of that would i mean all of that would be blocked by advertisers right so like this is this is, this is wild i mean so essentially i'm sorry i just got to jump into here Key- keyword blocking i think is something we should we should get into right so this is this is where we're really getting into what the idea of brand safe is and so you, what you're saying is that there are well i know this is more complicated but i'll give you the simple version that there are advertisers that there are brands who have decided that I don't want my product, I don't want my breakfast cereal or my car being advertised in an article that mentions Trump. I don't want it. Just just don't do not do it. So a lot of that's decided by the agency and by yeah. the brief, right? And like, I don't even think the brands even have a say in it. Because what's happening is the chief CMO, uh, chief marketing officer of a lot of these brands is not really... Um, is not really a major figure anymore. Uh, they've been sort of subverted a little bit. Um, so I think that like a lot of agencies are running scared and what they don't want, they're, tr- they're almost like trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist mm-hmm. or avoid getting that angry phone call at four in the morning. That's like, why did I just see my ad next to a story about abortion? Right. Which right. takes back to Jezebel. Like, why did I see my ad on Jezebel? Right. And that's, they don't want to have to explain that. And, um, you know, I think that's a problem because, you know, like, I think the message, if agencies had more of a backbone, they would say, Hey, you're going to advertise to news because Jezebel's readers are affluent and they're well-read and they are, um, concerned about the world. And, um, this is an important issue. And, you know, they're a valuable, valuable audience. And Jezebel is, is performing a service to this valuable audience. So we can ally with Jezebel and, um, and serve, you know, serve this very, you know, important group for us instead of targeting them later when they're reading about, um, food or something on another site. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's actually, let's maybe take a look at this, uh, 404 article, which I think might be might be kind of instructive to take a look at. So this is an article simply titled Advertisers Don't Want Sites Like Jezebel to Exist. 
Uh, shout out to Jason and Emmanuel. Really and, good, really good headline. I mean, it's right on the money. It's not wrong. That's the thing. It's not wrong. I actually already subscribed to the, uh, 404, uh, which I recommend. 404, 404 is uh, doing some very quality stuff, which we can come back to. Um, yeah, they're doing great. Yeah, for those of you who did not know, uh, Jezebel, which is a very, really well-known site, actually, which very, very broadly speaking, um, covered, I'm just going to say covered issues pertinent to women, which is kind of everything. Um but that's that that's the easiest way I could describe it to somebody who's never ever heard of Jezebel. It gets more you know, more in depth, more interesting than that. But that that's the easiest way I could describe it to somebody who's never heard of Jezebel. So Jezebel is shut down by his parent company, staff is laid off, and the reasoning given is that brand safety, I'm reading from the site here, brand safety, the fact that advertisers don't want to be next to the type of content that Jezebel was publishing was one of the biggest factors that led to the parent company to stop publishing the site and lay off all of its staff. And actually, the previously, the ad sales team had asked if it could remove Jezebel's tagline, which was sex, celebrity, politics with teeth. So, is that a good idea? And, and I think, is that a good idea? But also, I think maybe this answers another one of the questions of you're saying, well, people don't want to advertise or there's an industry now that has convinced itself, maybe that's a better word, um, and convince others to not, pu not put ads on things that are deemed, quote unquote, sensitive, which we'll get into. Um, what are the consequences of that? Well, potential consequences is an entire site going under, an entire staff of journalists who worked very well together to provide this kind of service for you, no longer having that ability to do so. That is one of the potential consequences of it, a site going away. Yeah, I think that's this is really puzzling, I have to say. I mean, because if you think about, I mean, Jezebel had a couple er eras of excellence, right? They were great when they launched, um, and I thought they had, they were on a great run with Laura Bassett was the editor. Um, most recently. Um, so I think the brand is amazing. It has a history of um, doing impactful stories and coverage on things that really matter. Mm -hmm. And um, and it had a really devoted audience, like really loyal. Like, yeah. I guarantee you, if you were, not me, but somebody, wore a Jezebel sweatshirt, t-shirt to the dog park, there would be conversations, right? Like, Yes. If you wore a if you wore a CNN T-shirt to the dog park, no conversations. If you wore a Jezebel T-shirt, somebody's going to talk to you about it. That's actually uh, a that's actually a great question because it's a great thing that you mentioned because there really are, and I think we should underline this right. There are news brands that will get you that kind of reaction. Go up with a MSNBC shirt. Go up, uh, frankly a Fox News hat like. Maybe somebody will look at you, but you're not going to get a real conversation out of it. But there are some well, like pull up. Depends on who you depends on where you at, right? But you know, Jezebel. I would say yeah. Vice. I would say yeah. Like walk up with a Wall Street Journal sweater on, like an NPR tote bag. Like that's not going to do that much for you, man. And that's even kind of stereotypical. Yeah, so the only reason the only reason I give that anecdote is that once in a while during the pandemic work from home era, I actually did forget 
and wear like a vice hoodie to the dog park. You want my dog. And I'll tell you, I forget that I had it on and then people would come up and they'd want to chat. Really? And man. And then I, but, but like what, what was amazing to me about that was, you know, here's a, here's a news brand. That's also a lifestyle brand. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the secret sauce. That's what vice had that was pretty unique. And what was frustrating about their inability to make that work as a business. Um, uh, I think Jezebel has that. Um, yeah. I think other, other, other places have that. And I think when you, when you get that, there's some magic there because, you know, it's not just about the news information, it's about these people are on my side. They're here for me. And, um, I consider like, these are my people, right? Like mm, culturally, yeah. mm -hmm. just sort of from a POV standpoint. And this is, I, I think the thing that the ad world is missing is to ally with brands that media brands that people have emotional connections to. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? That's like, I think the most, if you're a, if you're, if you're an advertiser, you're fundamentally a storyteller, you're a storyteller about this product and you want to be in an environment where people really want that content. And that was what was so frustrating because, you know, we would have advertisers come in advice and they would be like, oh, we love you. We love what you're doing. Hey, can you make us content about this? You're right. You're right. I, I think, you know, there are, there are things that I think people genuinely feel tied to. And this is one Jezebel being one that people really felt tied to. And, and it just got tanked because of brand things like phrases like brand suitability and brand safety. So maybe we could talk about th there's a, there's a paragraph in here in this article. I'm just going to read this out. It is not an exaggeration to say that the largest companies in the world are colluding to put their thumb on the scales of what types of news is monetized and which types of news is monetized at lower rates or not monetized at all. The World Federation of Advertisers, WFA, is listed by the World Economic Forum as one of its projects and includes every major marketing agency as well as brands like Nike, Merck, Nestle, Procter & Gamble, TikTok, Disney, Walmart, Adidas, BP, Shell, Goldman Sachs, Electronic Arts, McDonald's, and more. Represents 90% of all advertising dollars spent in the entire world. $900 billion in spend per year. And this WFA, the World Federation of Advertisers, wrote in a blog post that the risks are rising for big brands, the risks are rising because of today's geopolitics marked by polarization and the accompanying 24-7 newsreel. So essentially the idea being here that this is a large group of the biggest brands, biggest companies in the world that are saying, we are now at risk, our business model is at risk because there is polarization in the news which is kind of a wild thing to think about. So it sounds like a genuine conspiracy theory. So, so let's talk about this for a second, because it is true that the remaining news out there is mo more polarized. And why is that? That is a direct result of two things. One is that social distribution rewarded emotional content, right? It rewarded whatever confirmed your bias, you know, whatever you want to dunk on that day, that headline performed, right? 
So that's one thing. So, so social algorithmic social did in fact amplify our divisions and amplified content that, um, you know, confirmed, uh, you know, ex basically extreme content or right, content right. that was very opinionated, right? So that delivered a lot of clicks to those sites. The second thing is the um, cookie-based advertising world where everything looks the same to the advertiser and they're, you know, that actually monetized those sites. So those sites are monetized in a way that they were never before when there was direct buying of, 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 of news um, organizations. So what you have is a, you do have, so, so basically this is a monster that the ad world created, right? And now they're complaining about it. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's pretty rich. It's pretty funny to sort of watch, see how that kind of played out over the years, but it is true. And, you know, I think that there are, there are some interesting solutions out there that, could help with that. I mean, one of them is, hey, why don't you start doing like a white list of news brands and just buy them, right? Like that seems pretty simple. Um, there are a couple companies out there. One's called AdFontis Media, which I did some consulting for over the summer. One's called NewsGuard that are sort of rating um, news, news sites based on bias and reliability um, and sort of giving them a little bit of a like a, a seal of approval, like brands can be safe here, right? Um, I think those are interesting initiatives that could funnel uh, more brand dollars back to news. Uh, I'll tell you, it has to happen. Like it, it can't. Uh, the, the alternative is 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 I think unacceptable for for society. I mean, if you talk, to, if you go to any like ad conference, and trust me, I've been to a bunch. People are all too ready to to criticize the quality of the content and the news that's out there. And I just want to say like, yeah, so do something about it. It's the business model of last resort. Um, look, I mean, you know, publishers, right? Publishers need to build products. They need to have subscribers. They need to do a lot of innovating on their own. Ads are not the solution to this, right? They're just part of the problem. Um, but I think, you know, you've got this like, you know, the, the social revolution search, the, you know, um, the, the, the fact that Google and Facebook built just much more effective ad systems and publishers ever could, mm -hmm. right. That's a problem. And now you've got AI like, you know, training up, you know, their large language models on all this expensive content, you know, doing it like, you know, not asking permission, just doing it. And, 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 and I guess hoping they'll win in court or hoping they'll get a good deal in the end. But it's like, man, content just can't catch a break, right? This is, this is, yeah. I don't know if you looked at the New York Times lawsuit against OpenAI. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, if you've been on a search engine lately, you know, if you, if you want to use the AI results, it's pushing down the Google results even further, the blue links that is sort of the lifeblood of the internet economy. And those, those AI search results for the most part have no links in them at all. So, so like, you know, you saw the latest traffic numbers, I think late last year were pretty bad for content across the industry, just like numbers are crashing. So, so let, I'm a, I'm a read from this article again. Um, so, okay. In 2019, a WFA group 
called the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, GARM, published the Brand Safety Floor and Suitability Framework, a document that helps guide how brands approach brand safety and suitability. So this framework states that discussion of debated social issues and related acts in negative or partisan context is of high risk. And breaking news and op-ed coverage is media risk, which is, this is, I want to say this again, discussion of debated social issues and related acts in negative or partisan context. Here's the thing. What is a debated, sensitive social issue? And the document doesn't actually describe that. And here's the problem. There are a lot of things that a lot of people think are debated social issues right now. There are also things that have been debated social issues in the past, like should women be able to vote? Should people with certain skin tones be able to vote? Should children be working in factories or not? These at one time were very hotly debated, sensitive social issues. And that would have meant in those contexts that I'm not saying it. What happens is these things cannot be written about. And and it sounds like I'm making a couple of jumps here, but but what I'm doing here is I'm saying that here is what my concern would be. And you tell me if this concern makes sense, because what it sounds like here is that it sounds like there's kind of this middleman, I suppose, agency or consortium that is making the essentially decision here that if basically what it sounds like here is that if somebody is writing about something that is sensitive, companies will not want to advertise on those articles or on those videos or whatever the case may be. And if that happens, then at some point that kind of reporting will get deprioritized. Defunded. That reporting's that and reporting's just, gonna go away. It'll just yeah. go away. Yeah. It'll so, go away. Like, I mean, I think Vice was, I think, very um, you know. I was never pressured to do fewer Trump stories, right? I was never pressured to do fewer challenging stories, which I appreciated. And that was partly because our ad model, we just didn't, you know, it wasn't like we were going to lose much by mm -hmm. just staying brand friendly and our audience would go away. So it, there was no, there was really no point in doing it. But I think, you know, that, that, that document's really important. And it's one of those sort of unseen who wrote it how they come up with that yeah and because you know it's taken seriously and it's used for you know um the underpinning framework of brand safety all over the all over the industry and that 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 is a doomsday document for news right there and because you know uh like you say i mean look at look at look at what jezebel was doing day in day out like they were writing about really important issues that yeah there there's there's there isn't like a consensus on abortion in this country there's a lot of people who say it should be illegal right yeah um but you know well, i mean like, there were there words like uh, there are block lists essentially on these brand safety block lists hey here here's if you want to be in the safe zone don't let your work appear in any articles that include these words and some of those words are things like transgender or gay 100% wrong. Just like, gotta be kidding me, man. Yeah, gotta be kidding me. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think uh, you cannot write about gay people positively, negatively, like whatever. You can't have an article where you've written about somebody and say, hey, yeah, they're I don't know. They've made an album and they're gay. And let me move on with the rest of, you know, the discussion about whether I think their drum programming is good and how I like their violins or I don't like their violins, whatever. That is gone. As simple as that, you know, this is sort of, that sounds sort of simple and petty, but then it also gets into the, hey, there's a law being, there's somebody's trying to attempt to, to pass a law that could be really, really damaging. I guess we just shouldn't cover it because we might not get paid to do this. Like you say, advice, and again, we should back up here because this is a large question that I get, um, that I've seen people ask is, hey, is it true that there are companies dictating what you cover? that somebody's telling you what to cover and what not to cover. My personal answer for that is I've never had that happen to me and I've never even had the suggestion of that happen to me. The the closest that anybody has ever come to that is you know I covered a movie and I post, you know, I I would bring up some things and then the P, the PR people would get upset about it and they'd say we don't like what you said and I'd say too bad it's true. I don't know what to tell you buddy. Um and if you don't want to invite me back to watch your next movie, hey, that's on you. Whatever. Um, that's about as far as that ever went. But and and I would assume you your experience is similar, but this is something where a middleman can kind of can put them on the scale a little bit and make sure that oh, certain things aren't really talked about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, one one amazing um aspect of of being advice um was the head of sales scott hendrickson was really great like he's just a great lover of journalism and um you know he was like you know it's not like you can make that document go away but you can you know um, but he knew not to bring us deals that we wouldn't be wouldn't be able to do um and he he you know he, he, he advocated for, for the brand in the marketplace. Um, you know, I think, I think there's, uh, there's not a, a ton you can do. And I think, I think Jezebel ran up against that. Uh, I actually think, look, the management problems at Geo Media with John Jezebel are, are another, another situation. I mean, I, I would love to own Jezebel. I think Jezebel would be an amazing property. Someone has actually bought it. So it's going to have uh, another right. life. Uh, we we shouldn't talk about it like it's dead. It's it's around and mm-hmm, it's gonna mm-hmm. be it's gonna be. I suspect it'll be great again, right? Um, but it's it's uh you know I think it's about educating the 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 advertising world and also positioning yourself as an ally to your audience, right? Like I've thought about you know every day when we were covering stuff. Well, what do our readers want to know about this? You know, what do how can we serve our readers? um with especially with giving stuff. stuff they're not getting from other places yeah yeah to the extent we could yeah absolutely um really the ad world needs to think more in those terms too like what how can we help enable a content ecosystem that's really serving the community you know there's some risk sure there's some risk in that like maybe you'll be on an article that you don't agree with like big deal right you're advertising like across the web millions of ads yeah, I think you just need to have a thicker skin and um, and understand that democracy requires that we have like a, a strong ad supported 
news ecosystem out there. And you don't want to live in a world where that doesn't exist. So the example I give is, is the Bud Light stuff. Bud Light didn't do anything to deserve what happened to them. And that was all driven by partisan news outlets. Um, you know, so you can ignore the news, you can defund the news, you can walk away from the news, but sooner or later, the news is going to come for you because what's going to be left is this ecosystem of partisan outlets that are here to dunk on you. Uh, okay, hold on. And, let, let me, let me, uh, let me unpack that. What you're saying is, but Bud Light, they have a trans influencer, you know, showing their product. And then all these right wing people start saying, let's get rid of Bud Light. And you're saying that's because they allowed those outlets to flourish? Like that's reaping? Well, not they specifically, but the ecosystem that was privileged by social media mm. and largely allowed to thrive in this world is the partisan news ecosystem. You know, there was a while Fox News was the, we actually were really early on in identifying this. Um, Fox News was the number one publisher, uh, news publisher on Facebook for a long time. People didn't yeah. understand that. They were number one. So Facebook really became sort of like a boomer, sort of like talk radio um, medium. Yeah. Um, and that really benefited Fox, right? Um, so I think, you know, so it's not, it's not that Bud Light, although Bud Light is part of Anheuser Bush, you know, giant conglomerate. It's not that Bud Light did, you know, created this. It's the ad world created it. And so, and it's not just Bud Light. Like you look at the Dodgers, you know, they, they came for the Dodgers and uh, was it, uh, some um like trans night that they were having um you know it's like no brand was safe like no brand is safe from this stuff so i think the anecdote to this is you got to defund the crap not keyword block but defund partisan news out there that's just there to like amplify controversy and fund reporting and they got to find out find a way to do that mm. Okay, so and I'm hearing what you're saying is, you know, you, you don't want to live in a world where this sort of stuff happens, right? That democracy is important um, and advertisers, brands should be, grow some thicker skin and be willing to stand up for that, which I hear what you're saying. Counterpoint, uh, let me play devil's advocate here, by which I mean, let me play capitalist advocate here. What if you're just trying to make money and you just say, look, I don't, Re, it's not my responsibility as a brand to make sure that democracy is upheld, that the world moves in a positive direction. My responsibility is make some money. And I'm scared of having my ad placed on something that is explaining what is happening in Palestine or is explaining what happened with gun control in the United States or is explaining what is happening with people you know, harassing trans people. Put me next to the one about top 10 gardening tips. That's where I want to be. And that's all I want to be. So if you're above light, you can't win by just selling beer to conservatives. You can't win by just selling beer to white people or white men, right? You got to sell beer to everybody if you want to win in your butt light. So I think that's like a built-in incentive to be diverse in everything you do, like from your staff to your, your, uh, your, your creative to, to, to places you advertise. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a built-in incentive for that. And I think like the impact of 
the whole, this whole quote unquote scandal, because it wasn't a scandal. It was a made up thing that got Bud canceled on a few websites. Honestly, it's, it's, it's nothing. And really what they should have done is completely ignore it and move on. Um, but the bigger thing, the bigger thing happened to Bud Light is like, uh, Dos Equis kicked their ass last year. They had better ads, right? Like, so, I mean, like, you know, that, that's like, that's the bigger story there. And it had nothing to do like Dos Equis ads were incredible, right? They were inspirational. They were about the immigrant experience. They were, mm -hmm. you know, almost cinematic. And I think that's a good example of, of, of like, just, Hey, they got their, they got their butts kicked in the marketplace and it had nothing to do with, with that campaign. Well, but I think also what you're talking about here is you're talking about, again, sort of creating an environment where only very middle of the road milk toast news even exists. And then that allows for, you know, your company essentially at some point being able to become a target if you do anything out of the norm. And, but, but that it, it's a kind of a long range view that you're talking about that I'm, is the industry even able to conceive of that or take that seriously? Because what I'm seeing is a lot of really short term decisions being made. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's like I think the average there are stats on this. The average tenure of a CMO is like a couple of years, right? They they don't have you know they they don't have like a lot of runway. You know they're doing their best. They've got very short term view. Um, you know it's a quarterly results view. Um, and I think that what gets lost is the long view, making mistakes. Hey, you might make some mistakes, right? Um, um, telling great stories and really investing in, um, in your audience, right? And for, for a huge global brand, you gotta be, I mean, you gotta be loved. You wanna be loved by everybody. You wanna be loved in the, in the, in, in, you know, in minority communities and in trans communities and uh, gay, straight, whatever. You know, you have to have like a really strong business, all those places. And, um, you can't let a few trolls and a few websites and a few news shows knock you off that ultimate goal. Um, you know, I just think, I think it's a big mistake. I mean, I think, and I think they have like, what's making all of this worse is, is the, the partisan news environment that gets left when you subtract uh, you know, when you, when you defund the news, when you defund, you know, um, um, real journalism. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's like a vicious cycle and what we need is, uh, you know, marketers to have uh, like just a thicker skin and like a bigger picture idea of what they should be doing in, in, in society. Here's, here's where, here's where I have difficulty with that. It was, with, again, I totally see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. What we're essentially asking for is for is for marketers, uh, you know, a bunch of people who went to, you know, got MBA at, you know, an elite business school to recognize value that news is providing to democracy, to society and say, you know what, I'm going to take a risk partially on moral standing partially on contribution to society i agree and i also think that look scared money don't make money no risk no return these, these are these are actually true things but you know look 
economy's not doing well and a lot of people are playing very conservatively and I, I mean you know lowercase c conservatively they're not trying to take risks they're not trying to take big swings and so us making this appeal it seems like a tough sell you know what i mean it seems like a tough sell but i'm also curious man you you've been to a brand safety conference oh tons yeah i used to cover this stuff how oh, but you were just at one recently didn't you speak on one i did that, that, that was okay listen y'all gotta understand at home this is how this started was i saw you post on linkedin that you went to a brand safety conference and i thought what is this man doing here mm-hmm. they're either gonna eat you alive or you're gonna eat them alive this seems like you're going to like you go with your fists up man what was this like why are you there it was, it was wild i mean the reason i got invited is because i i had i had recently left vice and they're oh, like oh here's a publisher that is really you know, a great example of, um, you know, an interesting example of, uh, you know, this issue. Right. And so, so that's why I got invited. And, um, so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'd be happy to. And, uh, it was, it was fun. I mean, I, I learned a few things at, at it. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm not saying that like, um, I'm not saying that they have, that their concerns are, are, are completely invalid. Right. There's certainly some valid concerns. You know, honestly, you look at that document that you just read from and you look at the, the, the things that it's stipulating. Like, how would you in practice really enact any of that? Like, I, it's impossible. It's, it's very, very tough. So, I mean, I think that, um, I think they're way, way too sensitive and they're way, they're, they're too careful. And, um, they're not looking at the impact of, of, of defunding the news. And, and actually, frankly, they're not looking at the opportunities, right? Like imagine some brand that really invested in Jezebel, right? Like that could be really great for them, right? The right brand. Um, you know, I remember Levi's did big deal with Vice, um, for some content we were doing a few years ago. Um, you know, we, we did that great series peabody winning series transnational that um that was uh, i think i think it was target was a sponsor on that um so i mean there are brands out there doing underwriting really important work but i think that you know the sort of big wave blocking and tackling of just general advertising mm-hmm. it's got to come back to news it's because there's no reason to leave. And honestly, like news audiences are great and they're cheap, so they should come back and somebody's going to get this right. And somebody's going to take a risk and, and there's probably a big win on the other end of it. So let me let me ask. So I've, I've gotten a bunch of questions on I'm, I'm hearing the you know, you're making the pitch to advertisers. And I think Jen, I actually co-sign all of this. I, I co-sign all of this tr- truly, because I think that. Look, man. If you can get yourself next to the right news outlet, look, man, look, 404 is a perfect example. 404, I'm pretty locked into 404 right now. 404media.co. I read the newsletter basically every time it comes in. If there is somebody who's advertising shoes or whatever on the site, I will probably give them a second look because... I'm already primed to appreciate what 404 is doing. I mean, you you sent me over this article here, um, which let me even let me even pull this up. 
Uh, this one is the News Trust Halo, how, advertise, uh, how advertising and news benefits brands. I mean, the headline, yeah, so that, the headline does it right there. So look, that's an organization um, that has a rooting interest in all this. So I'm not saying this is scientific. Sure, but sure. This is research that shows that brands actually benefit from adjacency and association with news. And, you know, I think in a world where it's pretty much fact free, uh, like we're all debating whether or not brands should be in news, there's yeah. kind of no facts underlying any of this. But, um, cause I don't, I'm not aware of any like real studies that have, that have, that have been, uh, conducted on this, but this is, this is, this is a data point, right? And this, mm-hmm. this, this is like, look, what little research there is shows actually the opposite is true that, that news brands are highly trusted, that if you, you appear in them, even next to challenging material, it it's, it's not bad for your brand. It's actually good for your Precisely, precisely. And this is, again, we're, we're if, if we want to talk about, you know, the shift from the mad men to the math men, right. You know, using the, whatever the gender neutral version of that is, um, Okay, the problem is not there's not a there's not necessarily a universal agreement or conclusion or consensus on what the math is. You know what I mean? Maybe there it, there is some risk at having your ad on a news article that's talking about Ukraine. Maybe there maybe is a benefit it could kind of go there, there's we actually have some data here that suggests potentially otherwise um and so unfortunately one of those is based on fear and one of those is based on opportunity i don't know but i want to come back to i want to come to a, a question <laughs> i want to come to a question from somebody who asked me by the way if anybody in, in chat has questions feel free to throw them out at here I feel like we're in the Q&A section. This one this one's from Samir. Um how do we shatter, eradicate, destroy the current funding structures and news? And so what I think this is getting at is um we're talking about what advertisers can do. We're but we're basically trying to convince a bunch of MBAs, no offense to y'all out there with MBAs, uh MBAs are people too, but we're, we're trying to convince a bunch of advertisers that they should defend the news. Frankly speaking, their their motivations are different from that of a journalist. That's just real. Is there a way to get away from advertising being the thing that subsidizes journalists getting out there doing the work? I have, I have two thoughts. On this. Okay. One is when we talk about like... Um, when we talk about news you use in your life every day, I would suggest to people who want to be part of the solution and part of uh, helping the news, um, you, you know, uh, perpetuate and exist, like just carve out a budget in your monthly budget, right? Just say, I'm going to spend $100, $200, whatever it is. This is my subscription budget. And, you know, I'm going to put 404 in there. I'm going to put LA times in there. I'm going to put, um, whatever it is and like rotate out, rotate, 
rotate stuff out that isn't delivering for you, right? But, you know, just like set it and forget it. Set, don't, you know, set a limit on it. I'm saying like, I, I'm getting nickel and dime to death on subscription. So I like, it's crazy. Like, and, you know, I think maybe one of those subscriptions I would say should be to like a bundler, like maybe Apple News or something, even though I don't think that's great. It'll give you a taste of a lot of different things because you're just not going to be able to go subscribe to everything. Nobody can, right? Right. So I think that's one solution because without subscribers, um, you know, I think I can't be optimistic. I mean, advertising is not going to solve this by any stretch. And then the other thing that is even bigger is um, I think the streamers need to get involved. Right now, they're the sources of money for content. Um, so, and right now they're pretty much out of the news, like, okay, so Showtime and HBO obviously carried Vice News Tonight, mm. which was very innovative of them when they did it. But, um, you can imagine a world where local news moves to streaming and, um, you know, you blew up that model, like no anchors at the desks anymore, you know, um, you know, like just, in, just stories a la carte, tar targeted at your zip code, um, written and produced and hosted by local journalists. Um, that would not be very expensive to do. Right now, no streamer is doing it. And I have to think that's where this is all going because, you know, what, 15 years ago, streamers hadn't, they didn't do TV, but then Orange is the New Black had. And then they didn't do sports. And now mm -hmm. NFL Sunday tickets on YouTube TV, right? Um, so they've actually broken kind of every wall of content except for news. So I think that news is next and I hope that news is next because that would be a way of getting news back into a content bundle that, um, would serve people, you know, and if you're asking people, if you're saying like, okay, um, we'd like you to cut the cord and not subscribe to Comcast or Time Warner or whatever yeah. cable company you have, which I did many, many years ago. How do you give them everything that they once wanted in their package? Part of that has to be news. We're in such an interesting time, though, because I think it's precisely, you know, maybe this does kind of relate back to the music thing uh, that we were talking about at the beginning, where uh, we, you know, a certain generation got really used to bootlegging music. I mean, honestly, that's how I learned how to get good at computers was, again, because I was bootlegging music and then i was breaking my family's computer and then i was fixing the computer before my dad got home and that and that's i think that's the story legitimately of an entire generation and then once subscription services come along again you realize i can just pay nine dollars or whatever it is a month and i don't have to worry about breaking my computer and also it's okay if i'm outside and i forgot to download the new daft punk record i can just listen to the daft punk record i'm good Right. Because I can just connect. Right. Obviously, Wi-Fi and, you know, 4G and all that helps 5G and all that helps. Um, but that's all to say that, yeah, that ended up changing. We got to we got to a point where a certain generation. Came to the conclusion that you don't have to pay for music. But. We became willing to pay for music when the convenience outweighed the costs. You dig what I'm saying? And so I think it's a hard sell, man, to tell somebody that, yo, you should pay for news because who the hell pays for news? 
And we've gotten so used to it not to information being completely free. The problem with that is we now have a culture where really heavily agenda-driven stuff, and I just mean like foreign actor type agenda stuff, is the stuff that's free because for them that's a cost of doing business. You do know what I'm saying? Like legitimate actual propaganda. Yeah, let me just put some memes online and that stuff's free. You don't have to actually pay for stuff that people have to spend days and months and potentially years reporting out and finding the facts or something. You dig? So we're in this weird position now. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. Um, but I feel like, I don't know what the readers, how the readers feel, but just in my personal life, I feel like I'm hitting paywalls left and right now. Like yeah. people are putting paywalls back and, um, you know, there's not enough content. There's not enough great coverage of things that I'm interested in. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that, you know, if, if there's no paywall, it's usually not great content. It can be, it can be great. It can be fine. It can be, you know, I think big believer in blogs and people's perspectives and all that. But when it comes to reporting, usually if there's no paywall, there's kind of no business model for reporting. I mean, look, you know, the layoffs, the messenger, they launched with completely ad supported model, um, went for scale. Um, and I think they did some pretty good stuff this year. Um, a rocky start, but like, I think there were some interesting stories that they did, but you know, they, 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 they're, they're, they're probably going to go away. Right. And I think all ad supported, you know, um, if it's just ads alone, it's, it's not going to be a great business. So, so I think you're going to find that you're just going to have to subscribe to some things. Which then brings us back to a really good question we're having in the chat yeah. now is, okay, how do poor people afford news? I think right. the answer is they so, can't. Yeah, I think that's a problem. So I think like um, the BBC is interesting. Um, I don't think you'd want a BBC in America, right? Because, you know, if you like in, in England, the BBC just sucks all the oxygen out of every room, right? They're just a huge... You know, like you talk to any, any journalist in, 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 in England and it, they've, they've either worked at the BBC or they're going to work it for the BBC. Like it's a, it's a model there, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's a total, it's a, it's a huge model. So I think, you know, I'm a little bit more interested in the nonprofit newsroom funding model. There's like mm. a lot of these, uh, you know, Texas Tribune, Cal Matters, um, you know, I think this ecosystem, Baltimore Banner, um, is is really, really interesting. My critique of it is that there is, in fact, no market for quote-unquote journalism, right? Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to read some journalism today. Like, no, no. it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. You're lucky if they want to read news, but mostly they just want to read stories, true stories. And I think that... Um, you know, the, if the solution is journalism and just putting words on the internet, that's not going to solve a news desert, right? That's not enough. And I think that um, these nonprofit newsrooms are like amazing parts of the ecosystem, but they're never going to solve the problem alone. I also also believe in big profitable journalism because when you have big profitable journalism, then you can pay for the big lawyers you're going to need when somebody comes after you, 
because you're doing stories that are challenging uh, people in power and or corporations or governments or, you know, and, and like, you can't do that if you're small, you actually have to be big. That's a, that's a interesting point. Uh, cause another question we're getting in the chat is, okay, how do, how do we protect, how does one even do journalism when there are tech billionaires or billionaires of any sort, really, um, who would much prefer for you not to do what you're doing in the way that you're doing it, criticizing their, what they're doing, things like that. Yeah. Recurring theme recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why 404, I think, is so important. I mean, I think the tech doesn't really have, I can't think of any, you know, they, they, they shout and moan and complain, but they don't tend to like sue, right? Uh, oh, one exception. I was actually almost sued Google once. Um, Can you talk yeah, about this? Take it back. Yeah, yeah, no, I had obtained a, um, I had obtained a internal spreadsheet of search ad spending. And at the time, nobody knew who was spending what on, um, on Google complete black box. Now, of course, I think that information is pretty available and, um, I was about to publish it and, um, um, I pulled a story out of it, but I wasn't publishing the whole doc. I was just reporting from it. So it wasn't like I was putting their proprietary information out there for everyone to see. I was creating journalism from it. Um, and they threatened to sue and then like immediately back down because, um, we had like you know, first amendment lawyers are funny, you know, the first amendment, first amendment lawyers that or newsroom lawyers that, um, well, the litigator we worked with advice, she was great. Cause she was like, you know, the first amendment is so strong. We get tired of winning. You know, it's like, it's like you we got sued. <laughs> yeah. We got sued by some pretty big people. Um, and some pretty well-known lawyers who've taken down other publications before. And, um, you know, um, we, we had just a great track record. Um, you know, it's the first amendment is a wonderful thing, but, but look, even responding to a lawsuit costs money. So yeah. that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like, even if you true. don't ever go to court, there's a lot of costs associated with that. Look, you know, we had a professional, um, newsroom lawyer who was reviewing, you know, every video we put out and a great many of the stories we were putting out. So that's expensive too. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, because I mean, look, there's stuff that I did at Vice uh, when I was still there, and I'm the same human being, I have the same skill set, uh, the same computers, you know what I mean, the same connection to the internet, and I could, it'd be hard for me to write the same thing, because I would know over there, if somebody tries to come at me, somebody can at least take a look at the legal threat and say, nah, you're good. I got to yeah. hire somebody to take care. If I'm doing it independently, I got to hire somebody to take care of it for me. So no, nah, you that 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 would right. be an argument for a larger organization where you can hire a lawyer on staff because that's that's important. AI don't fix everything. So yeah, so I would just say if there's any freelancers on this, uh, you know, in the audience here, to be careful of this because a lot of freelance agreements, Vice thankfully changed theirs when I was there because it's completely unfair. A lot of, a lot of uh, freelance agreements indemnify the publication if you ever get sued. So um, that will leave you out, you know, vulnerable. You have to have, you know, um, live, uh, libel insurance. 
Mm. Um, it's a terrible thing for freelancers. It's completely immoral. No business, no media company should ever, media companies should take responsibility and defend the journalist, whether or not they're staff or freelance. That's re- absolutely ridiculous. And that was a terrible thing that leaked into freelance contracts over the last couple of decades that was really negative. You mentioned news deserts, and I, I don't want to let you go without uh, referring to this briefly, but um, we talked about news deserts a little bit. Uh, you you know some things about news deserts. You've looked into this a bit. Um, yeah. What is a news desert, and what kind of effect is that happening? Is that having on the entire conversation that we're talking about right now? Yeah. So I think that I'm really interested in news deserts, um, both for what they are and then what their impact is. Mm. So if you look at a news desert, like Northwestern a couple of years ago came out with a study that showed 70 million Americans live in an area where there's no locally produced news at all. And then I think it was the Times or the Journal, I think it was the Times had a story that said, oh, look at all these quote unquote newspaper chains. There are the communities where the newspaper itself has no local journalists, just carries network or wire copy. Mm -hmm. Um, So these are getting bigger and bigger. Um, I think they correlate strongly. The social research now that is really interesting about this is they correlate strongly with extreme communities extremist mm-hmm. of communities. So extreme right-wing communities are often news deserts, right? Um, and th- that I think is a fascinating um, thing to watch, especially in this election coming up. Correlating news deserts with political outcomes is going to be really, really interesting. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I think um, this is a, a huge issue. Um, I don't think that I think nonprofits are a start. I don't think they're the solution. Um, you know, I think that I, I would love to see local television news reinvented. I think it's ripe for reinvention. I mean, most of us have, haven't watched a local newscast in a long time. If you did, you'd sort of be shocked at how silly they are. Um, and I think that's an area where like there could be some real innovation. Um, but it would take this, I think, streaming platforms to 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 support it. I'm going to say my prediction for one way this could go actually is precisely what we're seeing right here. Stre- I think actually streaming is, uh, and you say streamers, but I think actually live streams um, or versions of this are actually one potential way that local news could, I don't want to say make a comeback, but become a factor. I actually think that. Um, now, it's going to take somebody with some nerve to actually be the first one to step out there and do it. Um, but I think it's it's just like you're saying, you know, you saw like TV wasn't really a thing on streamers and then until it became a thing and then everybody wanted to do it. Sports wasn't really a thing. And then until somebody tried it. And then it's frankly, unfortunately, the streamers do have a stranglehold on and, you know, they're very. A small collection of types of outlets kind of have a stranglehold on what sort of stuff can come out there, what can get out there because, frankly, of money. Yeah, I think if you took, like, say, a nonprofit newsroom in a community and you tacked a show like this on top of it, 
where you had a host, you know, like a miniature version of the model we were doing at Vice, right? Mm -hmm. And you had journalists on talking about their work, talking about what they're investigating, talking about what they're finding out. Um, I think that's, that's a really, that's to me really interesting because, um, you know, I think of, you know, I think, I think of this, of the streaming models a little bit more like kind of ambient talk radio where there's some visuals, but people, you know, are often just listening. And, um, yeah, yeah. no, I, I know I've, I've had a lot of people tell me, oh yeah, I listened to your show. I listened to your streams. They're looking, it's okay. It's okay. Listen, however you pay attention, all 18 people who are watching right now, um, listening, (laughs) whatever it is. Thank you. I will take every, I don't care, man. If you're having this communicated to you via carrier pigeon every five minutes, we're good. Thank you. Um, yeah, man, I know I kept, I kept you for a while, but is there, is there anything I guess the last question, you've sort of mentioned this, but look, in summary, I suppose, if you can either give some predictions or some suggestions, um, both as consumers and as journalists, um, clearly advertising in its current state is definitely killing news. It's making it worse. Everybody, journalists agree on that with everybody. What can we do? Um. You know, I think directly what you can do is make that that budget, whatever it is, 25 bucks, 50 bucks a month and just like plan, you know, plan for it and 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 subscribe. Right. I think that's great. Um, and I think that's much better. I, I should take my own advice. Like I'll run to a paywall and I'll be like, oh, OK, got to subscribe. Right. Like just be a little bit more systematic about it and plan it out. And um, I really wish publishers would get better at allowing you to share subscriptions across a household. Like, cause um, like my wife and I are, and my daughter are constantly like, what's the password for X? And it's like a problem. And I just wish that they would just solve that. Right. Cause like no newspaper asked every member of a household to subscribe. That's ridiculous. Right. Like one subscription should cover everybody. you know, DMCA I, because you pass the Sunday, you know, comics yeah. over to your friend. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, break. I think gift articles are a great idea. Gift articles are amazing. That was so smart. Um, you know, and I think, um, I don't know. I think, I think like, um, you know, participate in the business model, the ad business model. You know, when you see an advertiser supporting some great stuff, like click through. I mean, don't buy anything obviously, but click through and, and, uh, I mean, buy nothing, right. Um, you know, and, and, and validate that decision. You know, I think, I think that would be, um, that's a rational thing to do. You, a tiny you little men- act. It's something, uh, you mentioned the, you mentioned that essentially this, a, a lot of these things like, you know, block, block listing things like the word gay in an article and advertisers don't want to have their stuff next to that. Uh, you, you refer to that basically, this kind of stuff is sort of a doomsday document uh, for news. Uh, what, what do you think news is going to be like in 2024? What, what's your prediction? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Do we have reason for I mean, optimism? Not, I mean, in some ways there's a flourishing of creativity. I mean, what you're doing in streaming, you know, like that's a flourishing of creativity that is, you know, um, the, TikTok, um, short form video, um, short form vertical video is, is, is incredible, I think. And like, there's just a lot of great 
um, creativity happening, both in how to present news, but also how to gather news. Like I think, mm-hmm. you know, 404 and the guys, you know, Jason and his team, like they're, they're innovators in news gathering, right? Um, experts in, in, um, in FOIA and, um, um, you know, they're just really, really good. Right. Um, so I think there's, I think that's, that's positive, right? I love to see all that. Um, and I think, um, you know, I actually think the political media has done a pretty good job so far, like in, in the election. Um, I feel like, you know, they've done a good job of sort of not both sides seeing issues where there really yeah. aren't two sides. I, I look, I, th- I think, I think the election is going to be a shit show. I think everyone does. Everyone believes that. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think it won't, it may not be as bad as people think. I mean, I think there's, we're all like much smarter media consumers. Like, you know, I mean, I think the, Are the, the journalists smarter though. <laughs> yes. Cause we, we didn't look, man, we didn't do a good, we didn't do a good job in 2016, man. We, we both know that it was terrible. It was terrible. Um, yeah. Are we going to do a better time as an industry? Do you think we'll do a better job this time? I think so. I mean, I think that wall of like, that's a lie was broken. So I think, um, that's, that's, that's positives. You know, we, we don't have to just like lay out the facts and let the readers figure it out. Right. We can actually help a little bit. Um, you know, um, I think in a lot of ways, like unlike for you, what, eight years, nine years ago, unlike 2016, people actually know what they're getting this time. Like, and there was a little, some mystery around that last, that time. So, um, and you know, people are understanding the real impacts, like vast swaths of this country, like abortion's now illegal, right? That's a real impact on a lot of people. Um, you know, trans people are crossing borders to get medication, um, you know, just basic healthcare. So, I mean, there's some real impacts that people are experiencing that, um, they weren't experiencing in 2016. Hopefully we do a little better this time. Inshallah. All right, man. Uh, thank you for sticking around right. so long. Yeah. Uh, chat, everyone. Thanks. Uh, please thank Mike Lima for coming through. Um, anytime, please. Anytime, please come back. Uh, I'd love to have you back on, man. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And there it is. Once again, shout out Michael Lerma for coming through and just sharing the expertise and really getting into some just, I know, meta stuff you could call it behind the scenes stuff you could call it inside baseball whatever um but hopefully uh this felt like there was something in there for you whether you're a journalist whether you're an advertiser or whether you're just somebody who cares about where you get your information from um and if you've made it this far on the podcast i would guess that you're at least the last one of those uh hopefully otherwise what you're doing here man thank you (laughs) either way but anyway uh as you heard during this podcast and as i have said before uh these are recorded live in front of a not a live studio audience but a live online audience and so we do that on twitch uh also streaming on youtube Uh, But I would recommend the Twitch experience uh, to get the full experience. So anyway, you can do that at twitch.tv slash DexDigi. Once again, twitch.tv slash D-E-X-D-I-G-I. And I'm DexDigi on everything else. Instagram, 
TikTok, uh, Threads. Man, I'm on Substack. Although I'm kind of rethinking my relationship over at Substack. Man, LinkedIn, everything. I'm I'm way too plugged in. But that's this episode, man. And just like I said at the top, uh, I told you we weren't gonna have any definitive answers for you. Uh, and usually we don't come out to the end of these things with answers, definitive answers anyway. Um, but hopefully, at the very least, uh, some things to think about and maybe even some better questions. And speaking of questions, I got a couple questions for you. First one, did you like this episode? And second one, if the answer is yes, uh, would you mind sharing it with a friend or posting it somewhere or even leaving a good review in Apple Music or wherever it is? But I'm gonna leave y'all on that note. Generic Youth Media Brand. See you next time.